Hey everybody, hope you all had a great weekend. Hope you enjoyed a Remembrance Day and everything that came with it. It was a very fun weekend in the world of sports. We have a lot to react to today, a lot from the NFL, some college football, head coach firings, a firing in the NHL with the Edmonton Oilers. So we got a lots of content today. No worries on that front. But this weekend was a lot of fun. I got to see a couple buddies that I never that I didn't, haven't got to see much for the last couple months. We got together, watched UFC 295, which at the Mecca, Madison Square Garden, one of the best cards of the year. Great drama, great finishes. Every fight on the main card ended with a finish. The event moved around very quickly. It was it was a phenomenal weekend. And I thought I'd start there because the UFC is just it's picking up more and more. And I'll be honest, I picked this weekend. I thought that Yuri Prohaska and Sergey Pavlovich were going to win the respective matchups and win titles in the UFC. But I was wrong. In the main event, Saturday night, Alex Pereira, former middleweight champion, former two-time champion in kickboxing, scoring off against Yuri Prohaska for the 205-pound belt, looking to become a two-division champion in the UFC. First round's very close. Some good shots from Alex. Prohaska's putting the gas on a little bit. Pereira gets him in a guillotine. Looks like he might have him at one point, but he gets out of it. We go to the second round. Very close first round. Would have been hard to score. I would have leaned Yuri, but it could have went either way. Early in the second round, doesn't even get into a minute into the second round, and Alex lands a massive shot. Yuri falls back. He lands another one. It looked like it could be a quick stoppage at first glance because it looked like Yuri could still. But then you watch the replay. You see Yuri's head go back. He looked like he was in another planet. He even said in the post-fight interview, he then said on Instagram that he was out. He, he, thought, he didn't think it was an early stoppage. It was the right call. And Alex Pereira now becomes a 205-pound champion. He's beaten Sean Strickland, the UFC current champion. He's beaten Israel Adesanya, maybe the greatest middleweight of all time. He defeated Jan Blahovich, former 205-pound champion, and he's now defeated Yuri Prohaska, a former 205-pound champion. He has run through. He is one of the scariest guys in the sport, He's massive. He's got a stoic view to him. And he just, he goes in there and he dominates every time he's in the cage, seemingly. Doesn't matter the style. He got by Blahovich. He gets by Prohaska. Strikers, wrestlers, grapplers. He finds a way to get the upper hand. So he gets this big win. He calls he calls out Israel Adesanya, which I get it. They have history. He lost the last fight to Izzy. I'm sure he wants some retribution. But they have fought four times, two in kickboxing, twice in MMA, and Alex has won three out of the four. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think Dana White wants that to happen. I don't think Israel Adesanya is going to return to fighting all that soon. So what do you do? He has some beef with Anthony Smith, who's a veteran, been around a long time, not exactly in the title hunt. There's Jamal Hill, who lost the belt because of a torn Achilles. But how long is he going to be out? When's he going to be back, ready to get inside the cage? That's a big question. To me, the next fight for Alex... 
Blahovich is going to fight Alexander Rakic in Toronto in January, which is an interesting style matchup. Alex has fought a lot. I mean, he fought in April, fights in July, fights in November. He stays active. He doesn't like to wait around. Dana White said they're trying to get Magomed Ankalaev, Johnny Walker rematch in early 2024 on a fight night as a five-round main event. A rematch with Yuri is not out of the realm of possibility. It was a quick fight, but the style matchup makes for an interesting rematch. Yuri's an interesting fighter, and there's not really anybody that makes sense. Everybody's booked. Anthony Smith talked about this last week on the MMA Hour. He said, I could get a title opportunity, not because necessarily I deserve it, but because, you know what, I... I'll get the opportunity because everybody else has something going on. 205 pounds has been crazy for a while. But Roundtree's booked, Merskanov's booked, Reyes booked, Menafield's booked, Jacoby, Span, no, Ozdemir. Everybody else that's available is booked. So it could be if Jamal Hill is not ready to come back within a a time period that makes sense. It could be Brahaska and Pereira with, with a rematch, which I wouldn't hate because I think the next fight's interesting. How does how does Brahaska come back from this? It was his first fight back from major shoulder surgery. Shake the cobwebs out and see how it goes for him. Bolhovich, Rakic, 4-5 in the rankings. Winner of that fight certainly moves up. But to me, Ankalaev, Johnny Walker, the, the winner of that fight, deserves a title opportunity. I thought Ankalaev won the belt a year ago in December when he fought Blahovich. But they ruled it a draw, which I think was stupid. It wasn't. I thought, I thought Ankalaev won that fight. But the Johnny Walker-Ankalaev rematch in 2024, that's awesome. I'm all for that. That's magic. Those two guys, interesting style matchup, two big dudes. They'll go in there and, and put it on them. For Alex, it's pretty incredible because he's the student of Glover Teixeira, the longtime light heavyweight who won the title at age 42, ultimately loses the title to Yuri Prohaska. And Alex comes back and avenges the loss, and he brings the title back to Danbury, Connecticut, where they call home. I think Alex will want to fight, I'm not saying right away, but I don't think he wants to take a long break. He likes to stay active. He likes to be in these fights. You like to make money. When you're champion, you get pay-per-view points. So his next fight, he will get some money from it. He absolutely can headline a card. No doubt about that. He doesn't speak English, but it doesn't seem to matter because he is just that type of figure. His heat without Asanya, the way his UFC career has gone, he's become a a fast star. No doubt about that. But he gets a massive win, another title. He's going to be a UFC Hall of Famer, which he's only been in the UFC for a little over three years, which is incredible, and he's already won two titles. Beaten four champions. Incredible stuff from him. We then go to the co-main event, which is for the interim heavyweight championship. Tom Aspinall, Sergey Pavlovich. Aspinall got the call on short notice. He fought in July, coming back from a torn ACL, and I knew this was not going to be a long fight. This was never going to go five rounds. I thought maybe two rounds. It's going to be quick. And Aspinall just throws a quick flurry. A quick one-two, drops Pavlovich again, lands another big shot, and Tom Aspinall becomes the heavyweight champion of the world. Well, interim. This guy's been through a lot. He's worked with the best. Him Seeing him celebrate with Michael Bisping 
for another champion from former champion from England was a great moment. But these two guys, they're at the top of the heavyweight division. I know Pavlovich lost this fight, but he'll be back. Aspinall even said this. He goes, we're going to fight again because Pavlovich can beat anybody else. He didn't beat me tonight, but he can beat anybody else. And I 100% agree with him. The dude's too scary. He's such a great striker. Aspinall just can do more things. He, he's, he moves so fast for a dude that's 260 pounds. He can do jujitsu. He can get on the ground. But to me, the difference maker for him is his footwork. His ability to move off of spots. He's not stationary, which makes him so difficult to plan for, to beat, to land big shots. In the UFC, his loss was to Curtis Blades, and it was because he tore his ACL. Other than that, it has been smooth sailing for Tom Aspinall. So now here's the dilemma. Aspinall is the interim heavyweight champion, and the heavyweight, heavyweight division has become more screwed up than the light heavyweight division somehow. Because they didn't want to strip John Jones of the championship, which I actually understand because John Jones is a seller anytime you want to buy a pay-per-view. I don't think you have to be a massive MMA fan, but if you're sitting on a Friday night and the event's on Saturday and they go, John Jones is fighting tomorrow, you'll buy it. You're more likely to buy it. It's the same as Conor McGregor. He still has that allure. He still has that to him. Now, John Jones had the surgery. He tore his pec. Had surgery like a week ago. It's supposed to be an eight-month recovery. So it's so December, January, March, April, May, June, July. We might not see John Jones till the summer of 2024. Now, sometimes the heavyweight belt is defended once a year. Tom Aspinall sounds like he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to do that. He said he wants to fight in April at UFC 300. And there could be interesting fights. But then there's also... John Jones is supposed to fight Stipe Miacic when he returns. That means Tom Aspinall will be interim champion for a year before they fight. It's just a whole lot of confusion. I think Aspinall fighting Cyril Gaon for the interim heavyweight title, is interesting. They've had heat. Aspinall called out Gone after his win in July. Cyril beat Sergei Spivak back in September. And Cyril's had lots of opportunities. I've talked about that. Every Seemingly every big fight he's in, he loses. But I'm looking at it, and I, I think Aspinall versus Surreal Gone would be a great fight. Putting that on UFC 300 with Conor McGregor and Michael Chandler, if he return, if he returns, absolutely. There's also Jelton Almeida, but I don't think he deserves a title opportunity after his last fight. I think Almeida fighting Volkov, fighting. Curtis Blades make more sense to me personally. So there's some big names. It's just John Jones is kind of hanging in the balance. Stipe is still ranked, yet he's likely going to retire after fighting John Jones. So it's if he wins it, do you keep the belt? It's just a lot of, I don't know. If I'm the UFC, I'm conducting business as if Tom Aspinall is the heavyweight champion and John Jones is is there when you need him to. So I would book Tom Aspinall and Cyril Gone for April or May. Because it's a it's a great fight. Heavyweights, main eventing, a pay-per-view, never a bad thing. Two guys that are really, really good. That have a lot of skills. Two very strong men that can just go do damage in the cage. And when John Jones comes back and John Jones wants to fight Stipe Miacic, 
then John Jones can fight Stipe Miocic if that's what Dana White wants to happen. Stipe was at the fight Saturday night, and oof, he was walking like he was an 80-year-old man. I don't know if he got injured in training as well, but he didn't look good. But Tom Aspinall is just a good dude, great fighter. I think we'll see him and Pavlovich fight again down the road. The rest of the card, Jessica Andrash, who is fighting for the fifth time this year, which is crazy, got back in the win column with a second-round knockout of Mackenzie Dern, a huge win for her, has the power, a former champion. You look at her this year, she loses to Tatiana Suarez, loses to Yan Shannon, a loss to Aaron Blanchfield. She beats Lauren Murphy. I think she should stick with strawweight. Continue to kind of build yourself up there. She will fight anyone at any time, which is great. The UFC loves that about her. She'll step in. You think, okay, well, she won't be fighting for a while, but then you see her. She's fifth. She beats Mackenzie Dern, who was seventh. This year, she's lost to Tatiana. She's lost to Yangshan Nan. So those are tough to rebook. Above her, there's Amanda Lemos, who fought for the belt back in August. That would be interesting. Two women that kind of need to, you know, find themselves again, bounce back a little bit. But this division for the women, to me, is, is interesting again. Because you have Zhang Wei Li who's a great champion. She dominated Amanda Lemos back in uh, August. Yang Shanan, who knocked out Andras with just a vicious knockout. She's 17-3. and three. She's just on the rise. She's beat Mackenzie Dern. She's beaten uh, Jessica Andras with a first-round finish. And you have Zhang Weili and Yang Shanan could fight for the belt, both of them are from China. That would sell. I mean, there's the UFC Shanghai. The main event was announced. It's not going to be this. I don't know why it isn't. Maybe it's an injury related, but I think that's a miss from the USC personally. Tatiana Suarez, another woman who is dominant every time she's in there. She's never lost as a professional. Submitted Jessica Andrade in the second round. Submitted uh, Montana De La Rosa in her return fight. Anybody against Zhang Wei Li in this division is interesting, but you go below the surface. Jessica, former champion. Mackenzie Dern still has a whole lot of hype. Marina Rodriguez, her last fight out, got a stoppage. She looked better than ever. This On this card, Tabitha Ricci, a.k.a. Baby Shark, fought Lupi Godinez. In a very entertaining fight, back and forth, was close. Loopy ultimately gets the win, her fourth win of the year. This should put her into, she'll likely take Tabitha's ranking. She'll be 10th in the rankings in the strawweight division. She continues to rise. She has good striking. She can get you on the ground. She's a tough matchup for a lot of people. She keeps getting better. 12-3 and three as a professional. But this year beats Baby Shark, submits Reed, beats Emily Ducote, and Cynthia Calvillo. Fought in April, fought in May, fought in September, fights in November. Crazy stuff. You don't see that that often. But straw weight is becoming more interesting. There's more interesting matchups. These, these women can go. Benoit Saint-Denis knocks out the steamroll of Matt Frivola in the first round with a nasty head kick. Saint-Denis is legit. He is a scary dude, a lot of different skills. Doesn't surprise me he won. Just a better fighter overall. He's got that nasty streak. I got another guy who was very active this year. Beat Ishmael Bonfin. Beats Diago Moises. Second round KO. 
and he knocks out Matt Frivola. This will get him into the rankings for lightweights. And lightweight, he called out Dustin Poirier. That's not going to happen. But he'll likely be 14th. So Bobby Green is fighting in a couple weeks against Dan Hooker. Armin Tuscarian is fighting in a couple weeks. That's not going to happen. Fazia's hurt. I think the Gamerot fight would be a lot of fun. Uh, I think Gamerot's style against St. Denis. Can, would Gamerot be able to get him to the ground? Would he be able to control him? Because on the feet, that's a mismatch, 100%. And that would be like 14 to fight 6. I think St. Denis that good. He could fight a guy like Renato Moicano, who hasn't fought in a long time, which would be fun too, because Money Moicano is a good fighter and he's got a lot of different skills. He could fight Jalen Turner, the spider, but again, Jalen Turner should be moving to welterweight. He's missed weight his last two of his last three fights at 155 pounds. RDA, Rafael Dos Anchos, hanging in the balance. His last fight was at 170. I don't know if he can fight at 170. He's more of a 155. I get it. You don't want to make that weight cut anymore. But Vasante Luque overpowered him. To me, anyway, he just didn't have the, the power, didn't have the size to deal with somebody like that. So there's, there's fights for Benoit Saint-Denis is the real deal. And then there's Diego Lopez. The rising, a minute and 30 seconds beats Pat Sabatini. This year, he started out by getting a short-notice fight against Movsar Ivalov, who's undefeated, and he lost. But he nearly—it was three rounds of entertaining. He nearly submitted him twice with a knee bar, but he couldn't get it done. Then he comes back against Gavin Tucker, the Canadian returning from injury, and he submits him in the first round. A minute and 38 seconds. How about his next fight? He improves it fighting Pat Sabatini. He knocks him out a minute and 30 seconds in. The dude's hair, his vibe, he's a rising star in the featherweight division. To me, there's a lot of different ways you can go with him. Because you might go, well, he's not ranked yet. I think he will be. After this fight. So you have guys like Laurent Murphy, Alex Caceres, who hasn't fought in a bit. I'm more, I'm wondering, could you get Diego Lopez and a guy like Edson Barbosa to fight? That'd be fun. Dan Iggy, even, against Diego Lopez would be fun. Laurent Murphy, who... Doesn't have a loss. He'd be fun. He's a confident guy. He's more of a striker. Would he be able to deal with him? So, that was the main car. But Diego Lopez, he's got nasty strikes. He can land high knees. He can do it all. And he, he made... He made uh, his opponent pay on Saturday. The rest of the card, really good moment. Jared Gordon knocks out Mark Madsen. Got screwed over in the Patty fight. Had a no contest against Bobby Green because of a clash of heads. He gets a big win at home. I mentioned Lupe Godinez defeats Tabitha Ricci to get her fourth win in a calendar year. Steve Ursaig gets a win. Uh, Mateus Rebecki defeats Roosevelt Roberts. Fight of the night, which actually was Nassim Azadigov and Miveslav Borshev go to a majority draw. Looked like Sadikov uh, was going to win in the second round, but somehow uh, Vladislav survives it. He fights to a draw. Uh, Jamal Emers, big knockout, 49 seconds into round one. It was, like I said, it was a great card. The whole way through, 
great action, great finishes. We move on to next weekend, Brendan Allen, Paul Craig in the main event at the Apex. Not as sexy of a card, but it's still action. But after that, you get UFC in Texas, which is a great card, two five-rounds, two five-round fights in the lightweight division. You got UFC Shanghai, which they're still putting together fights for that one, Sonya Dong. Chris Gutierrez will headline it. And to close out the year, December 16th, Leon Edwards, Kobe Covington for the welterweight title. Pantoja, Roy Val for the flyweight title. Tony Ferguson, Patty Pimlet, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, Shavkat Rachmanov, Kasante Luque, Ian Machado, Gary, Josh Hemmett, Jika Kichaze, former Bantamweight champion Cody Garbrandt returning against Brian Boone Kelleher. It's Dustin Kokobi, Alonzo Menefield. I mean, this is a hell of a card. Really good card. But a great UFC weekend. A lot of things that will be discussed over the next little while and what fights to make, where to go from here. But the events at the Mecca are always special. They're always great. Lots of celebrities. Kid Rock, Bill Burr, 45. Didn't see Wahlberg. You definitely would have seen him if he was there because he likes to make a point to let people know his places. But an incredible event. Great to spend time with some friends as well. Good excuse to get to be around them. So lots of fun. Let's move to the National Football League. Lots happened this weekend. Some big results. The biggest to me... Is the Detroit Lions going to win a game that normally they would lose? Detroit's coming off a bye. They have a good record. Jared Goff's playing fantastic. Jameer Gibbs, David Montgomery back together. But you go, okay, they're going to Los Angeles, and the Chargers have won two in a row, beating bad teams, but it doesn't matter. Lions will go in there and lose. We saw a shootout yesterday afternoon in Los Angeles. And it wasn't LeBron because he didn't play for the Lakers. It was Herbert v. Goff. It was Keenan Allen versus Amron St. Brown. Austin Eckler against Jameer Gibbs. And ultimately, Detroit's defense, which has been locked down all year, wasn't great. They gave up 38 points. Keenan Allen had two receiving touchdowns and 175 receiving yards. But Detroit ultimately won a game 41-38, proving that they can score with anybody. They have the talent to match with just about any team. And their quarterback, Jared Goff, is unflappable. And you have a coach in Dan Campbell who's colorful who will bite a kneecap off, who will say crazy things. But it doesn't matter. He does it his way. And they just, they find a way to win. Yesterday, the Detroit Lions went four for five on fourth down. From the beginning of the game, they said, we're going to be aggressive and we're going to we're going to win this game. The one time they did not get it was a goal line stand by the Chargers, which they then turned the ball over. So it didn't hurt the Lions. Chargers went three for three on fourth down with Brandon Staley, who I still don't think is a head coach, a good head coach. But now, I mean, you look at this game. Lions were four for 13 on third down, which is terrible, horrible. Chargers, seven for 14, not good either, 50%. But these teams just kept slinging the ball. The Lions put up 533 total yards yesterday. 
And the Chargers only had one turnover. Just long drive after long drive. Jameer Gibbs was fantastic. Amron St. Brown had nine targets, eight catches, 156, one touchdown. Averaged 19.5 yards per reception. Detroit's such a fun team because they are so dynamic. They are so creative with the way that they call offense. We're going to run an outside zone on a third and five to Jameer Gibbs because we trust our offensive line to create a hole and block. How about third and six? We're going to give the ball to Montgomery to run it right down the hill of the defense and see what happens. We're going to run a reverse to get Armand St. Brown the Brown to the ball so he can throw a pass. How about a fourth and one? We throw a 25-yard pass down the field to a backup tight end in Brock Wright, which turned out to be really the deciding play of the game. Every time the Chargers answered, the Lions did not panic. They did not worry. Dan Campbell believed that they were going to win the game. And you can tell this team has the utmost confidence in their head coach. They have the confidence in their system and the way that they approach football. But they have stockpiled talent. Getting Jameer Gibbs seems to be a good pick, picking a running back in the first round. Adding David Montgomery. Jamison Williams has not even scratched the surface yet, and it doesn't matter because Josh Reynolds has become Mr. Third Down. And Sam Laporta is as reliable a rookie tight end as, as I've ever seen. Throw him a big pass, he's going to catch the football. Backup tight end Brock Wright catches a touchdown pass on a fourth down. They just have different ways. They have so many ways to attack you. To find your weakness. That's what, And they wear you down. Now you can't give up 38 points every week. But they don't. Teams have their week where their defense just doesn't play well. Every team does. You can have the best defense in the NFL. Even the Cleveland Browns, who will talk about their defenses as spectacular as anybody. They have their warts, and they had their week against uh, the first game against Baltimore. They didn't play really well, uh, oddly enough. They give up a lot of points to Lamar on the ground. Big running plays. But it's can you be consistent? Can can you play? And their offense saying, you know what? You had your bad week. Before the bye against the Raiders, we scored one touchdown. Maybe it's time for us to play ball. Maybe it's time for us to carry the weight for this team a little bit. Find the weaknesses and exploit them. The Lions very well could end up with the best record with the number one seed in the NFC. And re- looking at somebody's schedule is a dangerous thing because anybody, anything can happen. Games go so many different ways. But looking, looking ahead... I pull up their schedule. Google wants to fight with me. They're home to the Bears. Host the Packers on Thanksgiving. At the Saints. Woof. At the Bears. Host the Broncos. At the Vikings. At the Cowboys. Host the Vikings. So their last three games you could look at and go, those are tough. Other than that, they don't have a tough opponent. Other than that game, they do not have a team with a winning record. They might get Justin Fields this week, but I don't think they're really that worried about that. They'll get Jordan Love in the Packers offense, which is putrid. They're already 7-2. Two divisional opponents in a row. I'm going to chalk those up as wins. Those That's 9-2. and two. The Eagles, who are just on a bye, have to play the Chiefs on Monday night. 
They then have to play the Buffalo Bills, which Buffalo, they have their warts. But they're not an easy opponent. It's always a fight to beat the Buffalo Bills. Host the 49ers. Go to Dallas. Go to Seattle. Host the Giants. It's an easy one. Host the Cardinals and at the Giants. So they're the opposite. Their next three to four games are really difficult for the Eagles. Last three games, cakewalk, cupcake schedule. Get Tommy DeVito twice. But Detroit has the ability to win these games. To get home field throughout the playoffs would be crazy for Dan Campbell to accomplish that that quickly into his tenure with, with the Lions, turning this around, turning them into a legit Super Bowl contender. Jared Goff proving the doubters wrong, looking like one of the best quarterbacks in the league, making big throws, not being afraid of the moment, throwing into tight windows, trusting Armand St. Brown to make a big play. Looking on the other side of the coin, the Chargers are the Chargers. They, <laughs> Keenan Allen's healthy, and when Keenan, Al Keenan Allen is healthy, they're a different team because he's so talented. I mean, looking at the league, He's not, you know, he's getting a lot of damn receiving yards. He's fourth in the NFL. He's almost at 1,000 already. He's only behind C.D. Lamb, who's been on a tear as of late. A.J. Brown and Tyreek Hill. So he's been as good as anybody. More receiving yards than Stephon Diggs, than St. Brown, than Jamar Chase, Mike Evans. TJ Hawkinson is 12, which is, that's a quiet, great season for him as a tight end to be a lot, uh, in the same conversation as these wide receivers. But you just look at the game. They turn the ball over one more time than Detroit. That can be the game. You lose by three points on a walk-off field goal. Your defense can't get a stop. Your defense can't create a turnover. Herbert has a slower start to the game than Detroit and you're chasing it from the beginning. It's a great story to go, hey, we fought all the way back, and we were in the game, and great, but you don't win. And you fall to four and five. You get the push on the spread, but okay. Great. Who doesn't love a push? To me, Herbert is... One of the more talented quarterbacks in the league, no doubt about it. He's got the arm, he's got the talent, he's got everything. But there's always something. He starts slow, or he doesn't have the receiving core. Why hasn't he created a connection with Quentin Johnston yet? And Brandon Staley doesn't help being your head coach. That doesn't help you in any way. But if, I, if I'm looking ahead and I'm picking a quarterback for a playoff game, I'm going to pick Jared Goff before I'm picking Justin Herbert. And that might sound crazy, but okay, I'll be over here in the crazy corner. Because Goff has actually won a playoff game. Herbert hasn't. He gave up a 30-point lead to Trevor Lawrence last year. Goff has won a division title with the Rams. Herbert hasn't come close with the Chargers. The Chargers are always in wild card games. They have to go through the hard road. They go through injuries every year. There's a Chargers curse, no doubt about it. Because Phillip Rivers had it. The good thing for the Chargers, play the Packers, they get the Ravens, at the Patriots. Broncos, Raiders, Bills, Broncos. They have a lot of winnable games on their schedule. And really, so far this year, they have beaten 
the teams that they should beat. Other than the Titans, that was a week two loss that he didn't expect. But they lost to the Dolphins. Dolphins are better than the Chargers. They lose to the Chiefs. Chiefs are better. They lose to the Lions. Lions are better. You beat the Jets. They did lose to the Raiders. But again, the Raiders have <laughs> the Raiders have a better record than the Chargers right now. So go figure. At five and five. But to me, the Lions made a statement in the entire NFL. You do not want to play us because we believe in our system. We can run the football. We have two running backs. We can throw. We have skilled playmakers. We can do it all. And our defense, when they want to play, are great. So a huge win for the Lions. And they very well could be the number one team in the NFC if they played their cards right. The Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers are both six and three. <laughs> Somehow, some way. The Browns have I think the worst quarterback play for a six and three team this year. Steelers are close. But Deshaun Watson, P.J. Walker, none of them have played well. Deshaun, I, I saw people on Twitter saying, oh, look, nobody's complaining about Deshaun Watson now. He played like shit yesterday. They did not win the game because Deshaun Watson was valiant. They won the game because their defense forced the pick six of Lamar. Jerome Ford ran the ball incredibly well. And Miles Garrett got a huge sack, and they forced Lamar into two interceptions. That's why they won the game. Deshaun was one for his first nine throws with an interception. The Browns were down 17-3 at one point in that game, and the game was in Baltimore. The Ravens choked. The Ravens were in the driver's seat to get some real momentum on winning this division. But then you lose this game at home to a divisional opponent. Division games are weird. I get that, but you beat Cleveland in Cleveland. And you should have won it. You should have won again. And what makes this complicated is now Cleveland has a win over you. They're six and three, so they're only a game back. And you have to worry about the rest of the year. Could have could have been a much better day. C.J. Stroud did you a favor and beats Joe Burrow, which we'll talk about. But I look at the Browns with bad quarterback play, and I look at the Steelers with bad quarterback play, and they're very similar. Steelers and the Browns have two of the best defensive players in football. T.J. Watt yesterday surpassed his brother, J.J., for the second fastest guy in NFL history, to 88 sacks. Second behind Reggie White. So he's he's got 88 sacks in his first 100 games, which is second most all time. Reggie, Reggie White had 105. So pretty incredible. Two brothers have been dominant for well, well, another side you have Miles Garrett, who's been wrecking the league. Maybe the most athletic defensive player the league has seen. The way he can move his body for that size of man, he's incredible. But looking at the Steelers, looking at the, at the Browns, it's great to have one elite player. Then you look, Alex Highsmith's there for the Steelers. He's pretty damn good on the other edge. So Darius Smith is pretty damn good for the Browns. Greg Newsom, great in the secondary for the Browns. Well, you have Joey Porter Jr. the third for the Steelers. Their defenses make them competitive. Their defense becomes offense because they allow them to score points. Because Kenny Pickett does have Deontay Johnson and George Pickens and Darnell Washington and Jalen Warren and Najee Harris. And yet the Steelers have been outgained in all nine of their games this season. And yet they've won them all. Which is so counter culture to what we expect. You get outgained, the other team gets more first downs, 
and yet you find a way to win the game. The Browns have had instability at quarterback. They've made stupid decisions, and yet they're 6-3, and three, and they're still in the mix to win the AFC North. And they're a very threatening team because they have the best defense in the division. I think they have the best defense in the NFL, personally. I'll say this to the cows come home. If Deshaun Watson can find his game, get his head out of his ass, and stop thinking about, you know, like molesting women, then he really, they could be a special team. They could get to a potential Super Bowl because I don't think the Chiefs are that good this year, even though despite the fact that they're 72. The Bengals have their warts, as we've seen. The Ravens just lost a game they should have won. There are opportunities for a team to squeak in, for a team to get to the Super Bowl in the AFC. I mean, the Jaguars just lost 34-3 at home. And we're a team that was talked about. The Miami Dolphins can't beat a good team. The Browns did something yesterday. The Ravens haven't done all year. So the, the Dolphins haven't done all year. Beat a good team. They beat a 7-2 Ravens team at home on the road. That's damn impressive. If Deshaun could find his game, have some consistency, if you're, if you're hurt, you're hurt. If you're not, I don't know. But there's something weird there as well. He's just he's a weird dude. It's not that surprising to see him do odd things. If you could find even a shell of your former game, this team is threatening. This team can hang with anybody. Score points. Turn the ball over. Anything can happen with the Cleveland Browns. For Baltimore, it's a tale of two halves. In the first half, they played fantastic. Then they threw up all over themselves. Here's how crazy the season can go sometimes. They have a game on Thursday this week against the Bengals. A great Thursday nighter. I'm happy for Al Michaels after he had to call that dreadful Bears-Panthers last week this is a, a great game the Bengals just lose to Houston Joe Burrow led a valiant comeback hit two 60 plus yard touchdown passes one to Tyler Boyd one to Jamar Chase Hit another big play down the field, but the the tight, uh, Texans defense forced a field goal. And that's when C.J. Stroud goes full C.J. Stroud. Launches the ball downfield in the third down to Dalton Schultz. Hits Tank Dell for another big play. And they get a walk-off field goal. Cincinnati's defense didn't come out to play. They turned the ball over too much, and that offensive line had themselves a bad day. Now, I still think Joe Burrow's the stud of studs. I thought he played pretty well yesterday in the big moments. But you lose a game at home that you should win. And in particular, you have less margin for error when you had a disastrous start to the season when Joe Burrow was hurt and you're losing games that you should have won. So now the Bengals are 5-4. and four. And looking at it, Cincinnati would be out if the playoffs started today. The wildcard teams in the AFC would be the Steelers, the Cleveland Browns, and the Houston Texans because they won yesterday. The Bills would be out, and the Bengals would be missing the postseason. And the Chargers. All playoff teams last year. Cincinnati is at Baltimore on Thursday night, and they need that game more than the Ravens. 
Even though the Ravens haven't had their bye week yet, and if the Bengals go and win that game, they would be tied. That's a bad loss, and the the Bengals 5-5 five and five in the AFC is difficult. You need to find ways to win games. She's still got division games against Cleveland, against Pittsburgh, tough teams in your own division that are finding ways to win games better than you are right now. It was, a, it was a stunner for me to see Houston win yesterday. I considered taking them when we talked about it on Friday. Ultimately, I screwed it up because I went with Jacksonville. They got smoked, but that happens. C.J. Stroud should be the favorite today to win the NFL MVP. And that can change because it's a week-to-week thing. And so many so many things happen. He can have a bad game next week, and it's over. Simple as that. But currently on FanDuel, he is in sixth. Somehow Josh Allen has better odds than him, which is beyond me, but nevertheless... C.J. Stroud is having the best rookie quarterback season of all time to this point. And that's not hyperbole. That's a fact. His season has been nothing short of extraordinary. 15 touchdowns, 2 interceptions, 101 rate as a quarter, 61% completion percentage, 2626 uh, 26 first passing yards. He doesn't run the ball that much, but when he does, he did score a rushing touchdown yesterday. He only threw one pass touchdown yesterday. He lost two fumbles and he threw an interception. Doesn't sound like a great day, but when he had to come up with the goods, he threw a ball down the field to Dustin to Dustin Schultz, Dalton Schultz, Noah Brown. A guy who the Cowboys gave up on had seven receptions for 172 yards yesterday. Robert Woods had one catch. He didn't have all his weapons, and he finds a way to overcome it. Devin Singletary, they're without their top running back. Singletary comes in, 30 carries, 150 yards, and a touchdown on the ground. But to be C.J. Stroud just in the big moments makes big throw after big throw, not afraid, slings it into tight windows, doesn't have the, the best talent in the world. And yet the Houston Texans are now fighting with the Jags for the AFC South. They very well could win it. You never know. D'Amico Ryans has turned that program around. They have their quarterback of the future. He might not be the most athletic person in the world, but he can throw the ball. He's not afraid. He's got it all. He's got the the swagger, the machismo. You go into Cincinnati, who have been one of the top dogs in the AFC, and you win on the road, that's a big deal. But to me, he's the MVP of the league at this point. He's been the most consistent to have only two interceptions after nine games as a rookie. And it's not as if he's just doing check down Charlie stuff. He's throwing the ball down the field. He's taking shots. And they're five and four. They have the potential to get to the playoffs in his rookie year. They host the Cardinals, which should be a win, although they did win the Cardinals won yesterday. Host the Jags in a massive game. Host the Broncos. Go to play the Jets at Tennessee. Host the Browns Christmas Eve. Host the Titans. Go to the Colts. 
That's a favorable schedule. It's nice to play in the AFC South because you don't have that many tough opponents. But they're a team I'm going to keep my eye on and see how he plays. Because if they make the playoffs, if they win the AFC South, the narrative will be there for him to win the MVP. I think they have to win the division. He needs to continue to play this way. But even being a playoff team, I think his name will be thrown about into the mix. In that division, the Jacksville got crushed yesterday. San Francisco's pass rush was phenomenal. Chase Young, Nick Bosa, Armstead, that whole defense came with a point. They wanted to play well, and they did. They look like they're back. Brock Purdy played extremely well. Big touchdown pass to Ayuk, to George Kittle, down the seam, and they win 34-3 on the road. McCaffrey's running the ball. His touchdown streak ends at 18 games, but still. They're still a dangerous team. They had lost three in a row. You get a bye week, you come back, and you play one of the hottest teams in the NFL, and you smoke them. That's impressive. There's still a team you don't want to play. You don't want to see them because they have that playoff pedigree. They know what they're about. They host the Buccaneers next week. It's not that fun for the Bucs. <laughs> to me, they're just getting better and better as as the game. If they can, if this defense can continue to build on this. Attack the quarterback, get pressures, make them make their life hell. They absolutely will be a factor come January. The rest of the day, Cardinals beat the Falcons. Kyler Murray returns from injury. They get a walk-off field goal. He played solid. The Green Lizard got injured. Desmond Ritter had to come in, but the NFC South is just chaos doesn't even put put into the right uh, discussion. NFC South, you had the 5-5 five and five Saints, who lost yesterday to Josh Dobbs. 4-5 and five Bucks, 4-6 and six Falcons, and the 1-8 and eight Panthers. Derek Carr got hurt, had to leave the game, so Jameis Winston has to come in. Tampa, oddly enough, they have the most secure quarterback position with Baker Mayfield, but their team has been disappointing. And the Falcons have no continuity whatsoever. I don't know who's going to win this division. I have no clue. The Saints are the most talented, but again, they go to play Minnesota with Josh Dobbs, who had been there a week, and and they lose. And Derek Carr gets hurt, and they hardly put up any points. They head into their bye week. I think Dennis Allen's feeling the pressure to be 5-5 five and five at this point, and they haven't exactly had a difficult schedule. He's not going to get a third year with this team. He might not anyway, even if they win the division, because if you go out early in the playoffs and you only make it because you're in a shitty division, that doesn't look great on you either. But any anybody other than Carolina, any team can still win this division. The 4-6 and six Falcons can somehow find a way to win the division. Because nobody's good. I love Olave. And Michael Thomas has been healthy. And you have Alvin Kamara. And you look at it and go, okay, this team should be better. But they don't win games. No continuity. No charisma. Nothing. It, it's that, that division will be a nightmare until the end of the year. A hundred percent. 
See what I mean. The Josh Dobbs story in Minnesota is phenomenal. They're six and four. I thought it was so smart for Minnesota to not give up on their season. Go get Josh Dobbs. He he gives them a chance to win. They could absolutely be a wild card team in the NFC. Justin Jefferson should return this year. Hopefully he can play with Josh Dobbs. They have a belief in this team. I mentioned TJ Hawkinson, the year he's having. Jordan Addison, the rookie, has been phenomenal as well. But Josh Dobbs, five teams in 15 months. He's battling it out, learning stuff. He's a He was going to be either an astronaut or a quarterback. He's a smart dude. Seahawks edge the Commanders. Good win for the Seahawks. Good day to have the Commanders. Plus six and a half. Just saying. But they get a walk. It was a huge win for Seattle. I thought this was a scare game for them. Sam Howell. I like Sam Howell. To me, he's just, he's just a baller. He gets sacked a ton. That's his fault. But he had three pass touchdowns yesterday. One to Brian Robinson, one to Gibson, one to, to uh, Deami Brown. He he can be a quarterback they can keep after they get rid of Ron Rivera and Jack DeRio and the whole staff there. But they're gonna be they're they're at least a fun watch because they're gonna battle. They're four and six. They're not a great team. They traded pieces at the traded line, so they're not that good anymore. But they have the Giants next week. They'll beat the Giants. Then they get the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. And that's an interesting game because the Cowboys, well, the Cowboys have their warts. And the, the, the Commanders can score points. I like watching Sam Howell play. So they'll have new coaches, new, likely a new GM, all new stuff in Washington. I don't think it's a necessary, oh, we just have to get rid of Sam Howell. Because if they do, another team will scoop him up. Because he can play. The Raiders beat the Jets last night. Raiders win two in a row. But you beat the Giants and you beat the Jets. Which doesn't impress me. Zach Wilson's regressing. Just that interception late last night. It just can't happen. Fumbled. They couldn't run the football because just the Raiders wouldn't allow them to. They they just loaded the box and said, okay, go ahead. Garrett Wilson was great, just like Devontae Adams was very good for the Raiders. But you're watching two teams that aren't going to be playoff teams, two teams that have obvious flaws, two teams that don't have their quarterback of the future. Jets are at the Bills next Sunday. Aaron Rodgers says he wants to be back by mid-December. I don't think it's going to matter because I don't know how many games the Jets are going to win before we get there. I hope he can come back, but I don't see it. Colts beat the Patriots in Frankfurt. <laughs> Do you miss that? Mac Jones got benched, but it was just, it was on the last drive of the game. He gets Bill O'Brien was ripping into him the entire day. Patriots are now two and eight. I think Bill Belichick, it's locked in. He's done in New England. Done. Maybe he's coaching Washington next year. Maybe he's with the Chargers. I don't know. But this season has been a disaster. Bill O'Brien coming back. The offense has not looked any better. They don't score a touchdown yesterday. only get six total points. Mac Jones is a first-round pick. He looks like a a, a walk-on. Right now. They have their bye week. I've said this, but I'd be playing Will Greer or Malik Cunningham down the stretch. Don't play Bailey Zappi. You know what you have in him. He's not a he's not an elite guy. He's he's a placeholder. He can be a backup for a long time. Maybe he's the next Chase Daniel, but he's not he's not a guy that's gonna spark you. Will Greer has never really gotten an opportunity to be a, a quarterback in the NFL. I think he should get a look. Malik Cunningham was a really fun project in college playing uh, for Louisville. I'm not sure if he can play quarterback full-time. 
but he's a, he's a better option than Mac Jones. You're, you're two and eight. If you're the Patriots, you are playing for a draft pick. Simple as that. Nobody will want to admit that, but you're two and eight. The Cardinals won yesterday. Idiots. You're not tied with them. You got to hope the Panthers can win some games because they're playing in the AFC South and they'll find a way to win a game here or there. And if they can do that, you could be in the catbird seat to get the first overall pick in the draft. Which would be amazing for New England because you don't have your quarterback. You need a lot of help. Bring in a new GM for the draft, a whole new system of people, a new coach. It was a great run for Belichick and everybody in New England. It's over. He can't he can't pick good prospects anymore. Let the Washington Commanders overpay for him and let them deal with it. Bob Kraft, find your next head coach. Teams move on, it happens. Bill Cower left the Steelers. Mike Tomlin's been a pretty good replacement. If you know who you're getting, if you know you're going to hire a smart person, your franchise can be in really good hands for almost 20 years, which the Steelers has been. So it, it's such a big deal. Oh, you're going to fire Belichick. Can it happen? Think shit happens. Time goes on. Ken Holland left the Detroit Red Wings. Segway. Speaking of Ken Holland, Ken Holland and the Edmonton Oilers ownership fired head coach Jay Woodcroft yesterday, fresh off a win against the Seattle Kraken on Saturday night. Clearly needed some time to work out their affairs, get their new pieces in place. Jay Woodcroft's out. Chris Knobloch, a guy, oddly enough, I've talked about in this podcast, who coached McDavid and Erie, was a coach on a World Junior staffs, has been around. He becomes the head coach. He was coaching for the Hartford Wolfpack. He will be behind the bench for his first game tonight. Paul Coffey, who is working within the organization, will be moving down and becoming an assistant coach for the Oilers. So Jay Woodcroft, who did not coach a full two years, is out. Got a team to conference final, then got them to a second round. I think he'll be a head coach again in the NHL. Just didn't work out for him here in Edmonton. Chris Knobloch's interesting. I think he's a good coach. Talk, I thought he'd get an opportunity. How it work, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested in watching the game tonight. They play the Islanders. It should be a lot of fun. We'll react to it tomorrow amongst other things. But thanks for tuning in today. Hope you all had a great weekend. We'll talk to you tomorrow here on To The Point.